I've got three headings. The first and longest section is what's different about music manuscripts, and then some problems of music manuscripts in the academy, and then some solutions. Can you hear me? So, what's different about music manuscripts that needs to be taught? This first part is intended as an introduction for non-musicians and scholars in other disciplines who are shy about facing the music. There's a widespread lay perception that music exists only in sound, but it needs to be stressed that our only access to old music is through its written trace. The V&A Gothic exhibition thought they could cut costs by representing music in the piped sound of modern performances. I managed to persuade them to include books. Late medieval polyphonic music, high art music and its manuscripts, which is what I've mostly worked with and what I'll be referring to, literate, written down part music was limited to well-trained groups. Nevertheless, as with nearly all categories of manuscripts, there was a wide range from elegant to musicianly to scruffy. Um, institutional or commissioned versus personal anthologies. Such music went out of fashion quickly, as fast as pop music today, and rarely survives longer than the living memory and shared traditions that linked composers with their performers. Old books were destroyed or recycled when their repertories were no longer live. If a piece survived more than a generation, copies were often adapted, pieces updated. As a result, we have very few codices. Music was not within the category of texts that were revered and passed on intact. Workaday music books often lived outside libraries, therefore they weren't catalogued, and had a less secure existence. As a result of this destruction, all the English music we have between the Winchester Troper of about a thousand and the Old Hall manuscript of the 1410s is in single leaves or small groups of leaves recovered from bindings. No codices at all in that 400 year period. Many of these um, singletons are the sole survivors from what were substantial codices. For European medieval music before 1450, we do have a few codices, volumes that are between 50% and 100% complete, but most of what we depend on are discarded leaves recovered from bindings. Polyphonic music is not a solo activity. It can't be read silently or at a keyboard by one musician. Practical and communal use of books separates them from other kinds of texts in the way they are set out and the way they are used. Um, yeah. Most polyphony is presented as separate parts um, across a manuscript opening on facing pages so that three or four singers could see it all at once, starting there and there and there in this case. Um, so, and then if necessary, and where the, the four parts there start where the arrows are. And um, if necessary, the page would be turned by everybody together um, as at the end of this opening. Unlike most text manuscripts, it matters where you turn the page. That the physical unit is different from the musical unit creates problems. It's fine with a complete book. 
like the ones I've just shown you. But a single leaf may have two strands of one piece on the recto and two strands of another piece of, on the verso. Although the full extent of each piece would be there, the texture of both pieces remains incomplete unless they can be complemented by um, concordances from chance survivals of the same composition on another fragment. As a result, we have a lot of incomplete pieces. You can look at a damaged or incomplete painting or fresco, but you can't put incomplete music on a concert programme without editorial reconstruction. <clears throat> we need to understand who was using the books we have. Small choirs, sorry, that shouldn't be there yet. Um, who was using the books we have? Small choirs, royal chapels, and some cathedrals had up to two dozen singers, but much more often, small critical masses of just three or four skilled singers, for example, in household chapels of bishops or aristocrats. This clearly affects the size of books. Cambrai in the 15th century um, had copies in duplicate, one for each side of the choir, but evidence of duplicate copies is rare. Personal anthologies, mostly about A4 size, could be used by three or four singers. So format dimensions range in size from one tiny one-person book, some of the um, early um, books that were meant to be carried in processions are really very, very small. Um, quarto size for three or four singers and large choir books on lecterns uh, for more. The pedagogical point here is that with digital images shown by default at screen size or printed out on A4, students need to be made aware of the range of types and sizes of the physical objects and the implications for use. Pictures of singers standing round a lectern with one book, such as this, fam oh, sorry, this famous picture, um, which purports to be Ockigam, um, perhaps the one with spectacles. Um, usually, too many people to be actually reading the notes um, with, without um, spectacles or by candlelight um, must be symbolic or memory jocks. With my facsimile singers, um, people get very um, edgy if they can't have their own Xerox copy in front of them. The idea of being close to people with different uh, standards of personal hygiene than we have now um, uh, is, doesn't, doesn't go down well these days. <clears throat> the nature of the few books we have shows a wide range. Some are institutional commissions, though their content would have been decided by the musicians, not by the patrons. And that may be unlike, um, uh, we, you know, we do have prescriptions for um, uh, artist, artistic commissions saying that it should show the Virgin or this and that. But, um, uh, but we don't have any evidence of that kind of commissioning for music books, which must have been in the hands of the, um, of the musicians. And uh, Roger Bowers wrote a, a, a classic article um, on um, laissez-faire as the um, as, as a sort of byword for uh, for patronage. Leave it to the musicians, not closely controlled by patrons, because of its technical um, component. Some um, books are pre-planned; the music assembled and organised and ordered before copying began. Other manuscripts are personal copies, growing anthologies, often added to by a single uh, musician compiler over many years. 
Some such individually owned books were eventually given, bequeathed, or sold to the singing communities with which the compiler had used them. Other books have many scribes and were simultaneously or successively available to the same community. But the fact remains that with very rare exceptions of duplicate um, copies, very rare, um, or each of these polyphonic books is a unique anthology, unlike liturgical books. <laughs> Students should be alerted to the criteria that apply to stematics and filiation in music, very different from verbal text. For example, there's not a long chronological spread of sources, as there is perhaps in um, classical texts, so direction must be established by variance and not by date. Because the parts were spatially separated on the page, as in the images I showed you at the beginning, the full text was not under visual control, uh, visual and mental control of the scribe, unlike um, that uh, that affects ability. Sorry, um, unlike the, the control, did, he didn't have the control that would affect the ability to make or correct error, because he couldn't be in control of the whole texture. Unlike liturgical books, as I said, every polyphonic book was a unique anthology. Common to all music manuscripts are the graphic dimensions of the notation and the mise en page, which is often crucial to the evaluation of contextual musical notation. And as I said, this was going to be user-friendly. I'm not going to go into details of notation. This makes literal transcription harder than for words. Graphic spacing is central also to the relationship between words and notes. You can reproduce music photographically, but unlike transcribing verbal texts, you can't in many cases transcribe the content faithfully without implying that the under-prescriptive notation means the same when put into modern score. It doesn't. Any transcription is, in fact, a translation, an interpretation. The nature of music copying errors is also different from text. Um, well, of course, you have I-skip, haplography, and dittography in both um, cases. But um, the misinterpretation of graphic spacing is um, a new element for music. Misplacement of accidentals, um, spatial errors of perhaps um, uh, of errors of pitch by a third, related to clef differences, and copying may be contaminated, to use the um, old-fashioned word, by knowing the sound of the piece, and performing variants could also influence a copy. Adaptation and variation and updating were normal aspects of. Um, polyphonic transmission. Because of the rarity of this material and our dependence on these scraps that uh, happen to have survived, we need to make non-musicologists aware of the importance of even apparently unpromising material. No scrap is too tiny to be of interest. If you find musical pastedowns or fly leaves in non-musical books, let us know, particularly if it's on five-line staves. Four lines for chant is less likely to be unique or interesting, although my colleagues may have um, things to say about that. But, but, but look out for unusual saints, calendars, and certainly anything very early that is not even on a four-line staff. Um, a hundred-folio book of accounts of San Lorenzo in Florence turned out to be a, a palimpsest written on the recycled, erased parchment of a major source of Trecento polyphony reused for, uh, 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 for accounts. 
Right, second section, problems of music manuscripts in the academy. Historically, there has been a neglect by literary scholars of musical content. Some medieval song manuscripts were edited in the 19th and early 20th centuries by textual scholars who didn't even mention that music was present. There's now an improved awareness of books as more than simply repositories of text, and the neglect is being rectified in interdisciplinary collaborations, recognition that the music may impinge on the poetry as much as vice versa. Most medieval books containing music don't contain only music, but texts and sometimes pictures. An extreme example of an interdisciplinary book is the expanded and interpolated Roman de Fauvel, uh, Paris Francais 146, a gesamt Kunstwerk whose choreography is intricate and complex. A published volume of Fauvel's studies was prompted by the fact that its constituent parts, music, art, poetry, roman, chronicle, had been extracted and edited or studied separately as though the others did not exist. You can't understand any one of these dimensions without understanding its relation to the other elements. It has to be seen as a whole. The book itself is a performance. Its themes of perversity, hybridity, backwards and unnatural procedures are reflected in the presentation. The flanking pillars of the large format volume, um, it's 460 by 330 millimetres, big, 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 are the Fauvel, uh, Roman, and a metrical chronicle of, Fran of France, purportedly fiction and fact, although it gets more mixed up than that. The expected scripts are reversed, the roman, um, first page here on the left, being in a chancery hand, and the chronicle on the right, in a litera formata. <clears throat> Ruling is adjusted around placement of text, pictures, and music, in a very cunning and elaborate way. The format parodies and sometimes reverses the medieval layout of central text and marginal glosses, making a prominent feature of the glosses and interpolations. On three successive um, pages, in the centre of each, um, which I've marked with the arrows, we have, I'd rather be a swineherd than curry Fauvel. Um, and then next, a motet admonishing Louis X. And then the hybrid Fauvel enthroned centre page, defiling the throne of France on which Louis had been sitting on the same spot on three successive centre pages, so they are physically touching when the book is closed. There's an infinite amount of this sort of play in this book, but you have to take the whole picture into account, and there are many similar examples. <clears throat> um, Fauvel is often named at the top of a of a text column, and it, the text is arranged so that that will happen. And here we've got Fauvel, Fortune, and Fauvel on alternate columns, the text arranged so that those names will be at the top. <clears throat> and while wooing Fortuna, um, Fauvel's uh, human side is uppermost and the horse hindquarters, but for his wedding night with Vainglory, um, he has human hindquarters and reverse, in, re reversible body parts. Uh, the music here is appropriately generatio enim perversa est et infideles filii. So, it's all very closely knit together. <clears throat> in the famous um, Fountain of Youth scene, old men are rejuvenated by bathing in ordure, um, right, going right to left, a reversal, a black baptism. 
The music is arranged around the shape of the fountain, starts on the previous page at the bottom um, here, in order <coughs> that the word Fortuna can appear at the very top of the new page. Lots of this sort of choreography. The Fauvel narrative itself goes from left to right throughout the book, while the subversive political counter-narrative goes from right to left, starting at the end, making a virtuosic double chronology, giving double meaning to the same items and accounting for many peculiarities that are not explicable in isolation. Previous dating of some Fauvel motets treated them as newspaper reports of topical events. Now they can be understood as historicized and fictionally ordered as part of the secondary narrative. The message here is that you have to take all aspects of the book into account in order to understand any one of them. Interdisciplinary studies of this kind are going well and increasingly embrace music. Less encouraging is what is happening in university music departments. The expansion of musical study to include popular music, world music, music psychology, music technology, business management, and the growing inclusion of more practical music in the university curriculum, all without extra staffing, not to mention current emphasis on relevance and economic benefit, and the popular use of medieval as a term of abuse. These factors have led to a curricular squeezing of historical musicology, especially for early periods, this has been compounded by elimination of advanced musical study from school curricula so that even university students have to learn basic musical techniques when they get here and will have had minimal or no exposure even to classical, let alone early music repertoires. <clears throat> um, it is, of course, a general problem for all medieval disciplines that students no longer know Latin, the Bible, liturgy, languages and history. A course in medieval notation used to be a rite of passage in all American music um, uh, graduate programs, now no longer. It's gone the way of compulsory Anglo-Saxon in English courses. Even in Oxford, there are some who want to reduce or remove the teaching of musical skills, the equivalent of language. Uh, right, some solutions, final section. <clears throat> Besides all the general things about books and book history that others will address. Two strands in particular are relevant to music, doing and technology. Um, doing. Many bright young mus musicians enjoy learning to sing from facsimiles of original notation. Um, Henry kindly mentioned the sessions that I run in this. It exposes them to gorgeous music and to intriguing skills. This is not merely cosmetic, but it fosters a different kind of musicianship due to the fundamental conceptual differences between old and modern notation, despite a superficial similarity of appearance. Contextual notation requires active oral and analytical skills, which are fun to acquire. Over the decades, I found it a very effective way of beckoning students in. Some of them have gone on to do doctorates in early music. <coughs> music degrees used to operate almost entirely on paper, keeping a safe distance from students' extracurricular performance activities. Um, sorry, now, performance is more integrated academically, and that's healthy. And this could be capitalised on, as in Oxford, for a choral performance course. And uh, my facsimile singing sessions have been judged by some um, it's essential for this. Again, a way to introduce students to repertoires, techniques, skills and issues that they're unlikely to have encountered before 
and which may ignite a deeper interest. It also has a stronger academic dimension than some of the performance that currently earns academic credit. I was taught notation on paper, just as I was taught languages on paper, with very little speaking. I would now never teach notation except with a large component of doing. Singers need to learn and apply grammatical knowledge, music grammatical knowledge, to how they read the notation, how they complete it. This is surely different from the way verbal text is treated. <coughs> I may be wrong about that, do tell me. <coughs> I devised and taught an undergraduate sophomore course at Princeton in which we sang simple music from facsimiles through which they learned about musical grammar, song forms, history, manuscripts, composers. In other words, user-friendly pedagogy, action-based rather than reading about, can be very effective in introducing students to a field where, once hooked, they will be motivated to dig deeper. Now, the other strand is techie. The presence of so much material online has, of course, transformed both the way we work and what can be achieved. Opportunities now abound with the availability of high-quality digital images and software. Digital availability limits unnecessary direct consultation of manuscripts, though they will always still be the things that need consultation of the original. Magnification is a great boon and permits a much more exact analysis of scribes, rulings, ink colours, vastly different from the approximate judgments I and others made 50 years ago from black and white microfilm, surreptitious or forbidden tracings, or relying on memory when turning between two openings. Digital restoration has achieved some stunning results. The left-hand page is what it looks like, actually, and the right-hand page is, um, was Julia Craig McFeely's digital magic um, through the Diane project. <clears throat> Work with erased and damaged sources appeals to technically fluent young people for whom the sense of hands-on archaeology of reading something for the first time for hundreds of years can be a way into deeper engagement with manuscripts and their problems. <coughs> Michael Cuthbert at MIT has engaged students in the program he has devised for making notated music searchable as we search text and identifying concordances on the basis of small fragments. He's also developed lines of statistical analysis. Magnus Williamson's Park Books project has brought in a surprisingly large number of people taking part in workshops, A, to recover music from damaged manuscripts by image manipulation of this kind, and B, also to reconstruct missing strands of incompletely preserved pieces. Um, this requires some grasp of harmony and counterpoint by those who do it, and it gives a sense of achievement at the same time a training in a purposeful training in the specific musical language of an early repertoire and an incentive to acquire the necessary musical skills. The action-based approach offers a way to at least partly fill the skills deficit and the technology route puts a new attractive gloss on work that would have been dismissed as positivistic just as new ways of doing book history have overcome the drier images of older bibliography. Finally, I would recommend introducing a unit of basic knowledge about music sources into general medieval studies courses for non-musicians so that they don't ignore it because they think they don't understand what it's about. There was an old Guinness advertisement that said, I haven't tried it because I don't like it. <laughs> and to keep the door wide open for interdisciplinary dialogue in both directions. Thank you. <clears throat>